Hi guys, welcome to episode 20 of I Mean Can We Discuss and I am your host Asha Ferguson. Welcome back. I hope you guys had a wonderful Easter. If you don't celebrate Easter, you know, there's always 420. (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoyed it. A wonderful time off with family. Um, For me, it was definitely a good time with family. My uh, little one actually turned two. I can't believe it. So we've been moving along, trucking along. Yeah, for all of you guys who don't know, yes, I have two kids with nine-year gaps. So I have one that drives me insane uh, and the other one who is running around and getting ready to drive me insane as well with all the questions. But why? But why? Anyway, enough about that, right? So today I have a special interview lined up for you guys. I had the pleasure of interviewing Carl Von Der Rohe, who grew up in Cleveland in a religious family that believed that God could heal all illnesses. He left that behind him when he went to college at Stanford and studied economics. Somehow, after dabbling in classical guitar, he ended up in banking. Carl lived and worked in Latin America, Canada, and North Africa, and conducted business in Spanish, French, and Portuguese. He also secretly wrote crime novels. Now, he's a full-time writer, guys. He also helps nonprofit organizations. He and his wife reside in San Diego, where their two sons live close by. So today was an interesting interview because I know, like me, I was interested in knowing why the pivot, um, especially going from two completely vast industries from banking into crime novels, right? Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? <laughs> so this was a, an an interesting one. I hope you guys find it interesting as well. A few updates before we head into the interview. I will be part of the Dominican Writers Conference, which is the very first writers conference that they're having in New York on May 5th, the Saturday, I believe that's May 5th. Um, so if you're interested, please head on over to DominicanWriters.com. If you're interested in going, I believe there's still time for you to get tickets if you are uh, Hispanic, I mean, it's not just open to Hispanics, but you know, it's a Dominican Writers Conference. But if you are, you know, Hispanic, and you are interested or or want to dabble into the book industry, and you're not quite sure on how to do it, that will be a great place to start. So I won't hold you up much longer. And let's get into it, guys. And let me correct that. It's not May 5th. It's actually May 4th. May 5th is actually a Sunday. It would have made sense if when I did this recording, I had the calendar in front of me, right? So I'm sorry. All right, let's get into the interview. You're listening to, I mean, can we discuss... And I am your host, Astrid Ferguson. 
we will be discussing different issues that can be debated, articulated, chopped up any kind of way. There's no real set way to this. It could be culturally, it could be socially, it could just be how we're feeling today. So you're here for the randomness and I hope you're here to stay. So remember to subscribe, share, and tell me what you think. So today I have a special guest with me, Carl Vondero, and he is the author of Murderbilia. Um, hi, Carl. How are hi. you? Hi. I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's, uh, I'm really happy you invited me. Oh. It's, my, it's my first podcast. I'm excited. <laughs> As I told my friend before, so we're popping your podcast cherry is what we always say. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I don't think I want to think about that. No, no, but you know, it's a joke that we always have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Carl, why don't you tell us about you and where people can find you? Okay. Um, I live in San Diego, and uh, but starting back a little farther, I grew up in Cleveland, and I went to school in California and then lived in Chicago, started a banking career there, uh, lived in Montreal, Quebec, with banking career there, and then moved to San Diego with more banking. And now I am a full-time writer because this is my first novel and it will be published in July. Uh, you can find me on carlvondero.com or on Facebook, carlvondero slash and Carl Vondero, I guess I should spell that. It's Carl with a C, and Vondero is V-O-N-D-E-R-A-U. Okay. So that's a that's an interesting um, pivot, you know, going off a little bit from the script, to go from banking to writing. There aren't a lot of uh, banking thriller writers. <laughs> <laughs> it's is it is it really it sounds like an oxymoron doesn't it yeah. but yeah it does but uh i've been writing for a long time i've been writing for 30 years and it was um something i just did on my own and i didn't tell anybody about it in the banking world um and you know it takes a while to get confidence in writing Mm -hmm. uh, so it's only recently that I've begun to uh, share with all my banking colleagues that I've, I'm actually a writer and publishing a book. So I've always been interested in it. Okay. That's, that's, uh, it's always good to, to ask that because, you know, deciding when to pivot from one career to another is always an interesting transition. Well, you know, if, I mean, I couldn't afford to be a writer for a very long time. And uh, now I've reached a certain age and saved enough money and my wife still works. So I have the good fortune of being able to make that pivot. That's good. That's good. Not having to worry about the financial burden always helps. Yeah. So in your own words, what inspired Murderbilia? Well, um, it's my third book. It's the first one that's being published. And all my books actually take place around the financial industry. But I'm very interested in secrets, the kinds of secrets that people keep to themselves and in their professions. And I thought if, if you were a private banker for the very wealthy 
what kind of secret would be something that you would never tell anyone? And that would be that your father is actually an infamous serial killer uh, whose photographs started the murderabilia market. Mm. Yeah. I th- the other aspect of this is that um, I, I've read a lot and I've always wondered what it would be like to grow up in the shadow of a criminal or a serial killer. And it's, a, and it's very difficult. It's it's incredible amount of anguish these people go through. So I thought that was an interesting premise for the book as well. Uh, and finally, I combine it with something else. I was raised a Christian scientist. So I thought that would be an interesting religion to throw into it. Uh, because in Christian science, um, it's a very philosophical religion. And they believe that you can overcome evil if you stop believing in it. Interesting. So essentially make believe like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were a serial, a serial killer and you wanted the perfect wife, um, she might be a, that kind of uh, sort of simple, simplistic Christian scientist. Oh, okay. Interesting concept. Um, so you were probably always the kid who loved the villains. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because, <laughs> you know, to take such a, um, I guess, an approach to want to shadow a murderer, uh, I just I just thought to myself, you were probably the child that you always rooted for the villain. You loved the good villain. No, no. I, I root for the underdog. Oh. And if you're a uh, child of a serial killer, you are truly an underdog. Okay. So do you think traveling to other countries like Latin America and North Africa inspire your creative passion of writing thrillers? It does. I think uh, fiction in general, because uh, what I find is that it opens up my points of view um, I find that in our culture now that uh, you can you can adapt a very narrow point of view. You know, you you watch MSNBC or you watch Fox, and you pretty soon you start sounding like Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow. And the the great thing about traveling overseas is it shatters all those old perceptions. And if you look at the people around you and try to get in their shoes, it really opens up all kinds of new possibilities. Uh, I remember when um, I, I was uh, working for a bank and traveling to North Africa three months before the invasion of Iraq uh, on my Canadian passport. And, uh, and uh, I got perceptions of people of, you know, why is the U.S. doing this? Uh, how they understood the culture in a way that I had no conception of as, as an American. Mm-hmm. So from you going to these various countries, um, do you find yourself also aggregating some of the language into your novels? Do you mean the foreign language of those countries? Yes. I do. I do. Um not as, as much in this novel, uh, but there is some Spanish in it because the protagonist's wife spent some time working with street orphans in Colombia. Uh, but I find that uh, when you 
start to speak in another language, your syntax changes and, and that also makes you think a little bit differently. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and there's different kinds of Spanish. There's the proper Spanish, the slang Spanish, or the Caribbean Spanish, as I say. Yeah, yeah. And the whole idea of subjunctive in Spanish is something that's kind of foreign to us in, in English. Yes. So how long would you say that it took you to construct Murderbilia? Um, It took some time. It took me about uh, four years to write it. And then it took me several years to get it published. Um, I was really fortunate. I had an editor who was actually pretty famous, uh, Jacqueline Michard. Um, She had gone through some financial difficulties and she liked the premise of my novel. So I hired her as an editor and she really taught me a lot, particularly about how to structure a book. That's always good to find that. I'm pretty sure that helped you to, you're published, right? I well, I'm about to be published. The right. book will be published in July. Right. Um, that probably helped you find a good publisher because that that process in itself can be quite tedious. <laughs> T- tedious, uh, frustrating, and painful. Yeah. <laughs> I. I mine was long. Mine was a long process. Um, I had an agent in New York and we went through some revisions and then he decided that I wasn't the, he wasn't the right agent for me. So then, and I ended up having to find another agent, uh, Michelle Richter at Fuse Literary, and she really got the book and really liked the book. So that's important in itself. And then it takes a good deal of time to, uh, find a publisher. Um, that took many months and then it's a year from when they accept the manuscript to when it gets published. Yes. So it probably took like what, a good four or five years to finally put your book out? About three, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess that's the whole premises of trying to decide if you want to go that route or if you want to self-publish. Right. But, you know, um, I think there's something to be said for the traditional publishing in that the book is much better because of that long process. Um, each time an agent rejected it, it's usually something what they, of what they said was true and could improve the book. And even the long year I spent with the agent who ultimately uh, uh, moved on, uh, he, he, there were a lot of good changes that happened to the book. So, Yeah, of course. So what would you say is the most rewarding part about writing and what was the most difficult? Um, I, you know, it's, it's wonderful when you're in the flow of writing and the characters are speaking faster than you can write it down. Um, and when they, you just hear, I mean, the, the voices just come naturally. That's a, that's a, a great moment. Also, also something I really liked in this book was constructing the backstories for the characters. <clears throat> um, you know, what was it like to, uh, have the FBI, uh, 
barge into your trailer and arrest your father? What was it like hiding from hordes of press? What was it like when your mother tried to heal your sister's asthma and, and had a, a battle with your father? Um, those were some of the, uh, the, the scenes I'm most proud of in the book. Okay. And um, what was the most difficult? Um, difficult in terms of sometimes uh, you write yourself into a corner. There are a lot of difficulties, <laughs> as you can imagine, when you write a book this many times. I wrote it at least 20 times. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so there was a lot of rewriting. And scenes didn't work. Uh, I had to eliminate a whole character. Um, at one point, the book was 115,000 words, and now it's 94,000 words. Um, so there was a lot that needed to be cut. Uh, pacing is a huge issue in a book when, particularly when you have double timelines going on the present and the past. So how do you inject the past without destroying the pace of a thriller and the mystery? Um, where do the clues get dropped in? Um, all those things that those structural elements are, are huge and I changed them so many times. I, I can't even remember what, what they originally were. Uh, so that's that's difficult. It's also, um, I th I recommend to everyone that writes fiction that they uh, join a, a uh, writer's group uh, because it's surprising how often you think you've written a brilliant scene and you've missed the barn. Right. And, and they'll tell you, no, that character wouldn't think that way. No, I don't believe this. This is not credible. Or why didn't they think this? Or here's another possibility. All those um, interchanges can be helpful. Some of them are not helpful. Um, and then the challenge is to pick through the ones that make the book stronger. Yes. I can imagine. I write more of poetry. Right. So... Um... I'm trying to because I eventually would like to go into the young adult mm -hmm. um, genre and that's been I guess my biggest um, intimidation I guess of building up the characters and building the scene correctly yeah well I think you'll probably pretty, be pretty good at the scene the the mm -hmm. challenge is in terms of how do you put those scenes together so the book has an arc the character has an arc the theme gets gets out by the end of the book uh, but mm -hmm. you as a poet i find that people that are poets that write um fiction they tend to be incredible um have incredible sentence composition and okay. and you know really alive language so that should help you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Never thought of it that way, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to, I used to write poetry too back a long time ago, but um, I wasn't very good at it. And um, <laughs> what when you you realize that um, more people write poetry than read poetry, and then you have to wonder. <laughs> that is true but see it depends because there's stuff today that's called poetry that i wouldn't really call it poetry but it seems to sell so yeah yeah and you're right right and you're, you've been involved in poetry slams and so forth right no i'm i'm not that 
confident yet to do the slam, but I have done performances. I've done workshops and things like that, but I haven't done a slam. Yeah. I haven't I haven't built up to that yet. <laughs> well, a performance must be kind of like telling a story. Yeah, no, that I can do, but a slam is like you have to act and you have to know when to pitch up your voice and when to bring it down and and have like the ending that like hits you in the gut like yeah there's a lot that goes into it it's not just the actual poetry it's the delivery i'm sure i'm sure well i'll stick to books (laughs) 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 they're hard enough yeah yeah um, so going back to your original comment where um, you talked about your religion, are you are you still practicing that religion? Or- I'm not. I'm not. I, uh, I was a, a pretty strong Christian scientist as a child growing up um, and believed a lot in it. But um, once I got to college, I, uh, I drew away. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like because you had such a strong religious background that um, writing thrillers ever pushed you out of your comfort zone of being like a conservative person? Or would you say um, your religious background inspired the writing that you have today? Um, I think it inspired some of it. Some Certainly some of the characters I met um, in church, mm-hmm. in the the contradictions, there are wonderful contradictions in a religion like Christian Science. So you know, mm-hmm. so uh, you're supposed to heal your body through through more through a better reflection of God, and mm-hmm. but you can't. <laughs> and so you go to doctors, but don't tell anyone at church about that. And, oh. and so, you know, and you take medicines, but they're in a brown paper bag up in the cabin in the, in the kitchen. So all those wonderful contradictions and secrets uh, make for inspiration in writing. Right. I see what you're saying about secrets. Mm. I didn't, I, you know, it's interesting to me whenever I ask people about religion, because religion, you know, they change and they it's very different, like what the religious um, restraints are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who do you think would enjoy these stories most? Like, if you had a person in front of you and you knew was gonna love it, like for instance, I don't typically read um, mysteries or science fiction. Books. Mm-hmm. I I like to actually watch the movie. <laughs> 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 so if I was to pick this up, like, what would you say that would draw me in? Well, it's um, it's it's a character driven novel. And what you don't get in the movie is the interior monologue, what the person is thinking and how those contradictions get expressed to that person. Um, it's it's fairly dark, but it's about a family. Uh, ultimately, and um, even uh, serial killers have families. Right. So from that, what would you say is the underlying message you want your readers to grasp from Murderbillion? Um, I want them to have sympathy for children of, of criminals. 
Um, it's, it can be a very hard life and they too are victims of it as well. There's another theme that goes on here, which is the, the power of delusion. Um, where if you refuse to face up to um, what your father figure has done because of your religion, it doesn't. It it can harm a child. It can it can make their life very difficult. But and this is what the mother does in this book. She re, once her husband's arrested, she won't even talk about him. He does not exist, um, which makes it very hard growing up. But at the same time. Uh, the mother refuses to accept any part of her husband's evil in her children. And she expresses that to her children. So there's that positive in a way that it kind of saves them from ever considering that kind of evil in themselves. Okay. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds interesting. It seems like a book you'd have to read a few times, kind of like those movies that get you, you have to read it five times over <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's a thriller so it has to have plot that drives it forward so you know it has those elements in it it has to have surprise and twists okay so um do you have any events coming up like will you have a book signing or a book launch i do um the um the book comes out on july 8th and the next day I'm going to be at Thriller Fest and be part of the debut authors program. Um, wow. Yeah, which is a great program. Um, and then on the 15th of July, I'm going to have a book launch at uh, Mysterious Galaxy here in San Diego, that bookstore. And that should be a lot of fun. Um, I will also, I'm also in the process of, you know, setting up other bookstores to do signings, et cetera. And I'll be at some other writers conferences. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know there was, well, I think I've heard of Thriller Fest. I've just never been to it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and then there's the mystery writers, there's BoucherCon, there's California crime writers. Um, there, mm. we just had left coast crime writers that was in Vancouver and it will be in San Diego next year. So there, there are a number of conferences. Okay. So what would be your advice to anybody aspiring out there to become an author just as you? Um, like, would you tell them to stick it through to get a publisher or you would just say keep writing? Well, definitely keep writing, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't stick it through to a publisher. Um, I, you know, that's kind of a, a well, a well-worn principle that tenacity is more important than talent. And mm -hmm. so you, I would encourage anyone to have patience that, um, I, I, I say there are five, um, five stages to editing and this kind of shows the patience. The first is that it's may it's the scenes may be okay. And the second stage is, hmm, it's not bad. It's not bad. The third stage is, wow, this is pretty good. If I can just sustain <laughs> this. The fourth stage is, you know, there are prizes for writing this good. <laughs> and the fifth stage is, it's crap. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's that kind of process you have to go through and uh, work through the pain of getting better. Um, I think you can publish a lot faster self-publishing uh, 
But um, I think the rigor that the traditional publishing world forces on you can make the book better. Mm-hmm. You, and you may make more money self-publishing. So, but eh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you you can make more money as far as royalties, but um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, you have to do all the printing and get the editing done and the formatting and your whole marketing plan. But even if you're a traditional, traditionally published writer, you still have to do a lot of marketing. Um, I'm yeah. I'm working nonstop on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that will always be the debate of which way to go. Yeah. So, do you have any questions for me? Or, well, um, how do you find that poetry is similar to fiction? Well, the reason that I find poetry is similar to fiction is because in poetry you have to use a lot of imagery and metaphors, and um, you have to have a special reasoning as to why you placed one word in one place or another. It's sort of the same process of fiction. Um, But in fiction, it's like you kind of hold somebody's hand through the story instead of poetry is more like of a a shot of emotion. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could be like short fiction, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, why don't you tell everyone again where they can find you and where they can purchase Murderbilia from? Okay. Um, you can find me on carlvondero.com, C A R L V O N D E R A U.com. Um, you can pre-order Murderabilia now um, on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Powell's, uh, or directly from the publisher Midnight Inc. Um, and uh, I'm also on Facebook, Carl Vondero slash. Okay, cool, Carl. Yeah. So, do you have any other questions for me? Well, um, are you going to read the book? Yeah, I mean, you could be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you do, but uh, especially since you said it has secrets. Uh, now I'm intrigued. Oh yeah, well the <laughs> the first line of the book is "I manage secrets." Okay. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely take a game a gander over it and um see if this will be the first one that i like in written form instead of a a movie oh boy well maybe you better not read it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you never somebody might pick you up and turn a a movie out of your book yeah well there's always hope yeah yeah and then you become a millionaire, like, <laughs> like Rawlings. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of book. <laughs> hey, hey, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you, let me ask you a question too. Um, how, how do you use language in your poetry? So you're bilingual. And so do you use Spanish in your poetry? 
Yes. So when do you use Spanish? I I usually use Spanish if I'm describing a scene. Um, like I grew up in New York. Right. And if I'm describing something like I have a I have a poem that's called Afro Latina Fashion. Uh-huh. So within there I put you know, phrases in Spanish to describe the things that I like from my culture. An example is we eat our salad with everything. We don't put it on a separate plate. So I put it, you know, um, an example is a mi me gusta mi ensalada en el mismo plato. Uh-huh. So that's like saying that's how we like to eat. That's the culture. So, um, so, we- so I like to eat salad on the same plate. Right. Yeah. So it's describing the scene of okay, so you're sitting at the table and this is what we like to do as a culture. We eat um I don't know if you if you've had it, but we even eat chicken feet. No, I haven't had that. Huh. Yeah. So I so I say aquí se come hasta las patas de gallina. Uh, so okay. I put all of that. Yeah, I put all of that to describe the culture of being Latina. Uh-huh. And I also put because I'm Haitian as well, I put in there, you know, I like my hair in curves and I pick its authenticity to increase the volume of Creole. Mm. So all of that is to build the image of what I'm, you know, made up of through words. Right, right. If you will. Yeah. And how do you make sure the reader gets that if they don't know Creole or they don't know Spanish? Well, see, and this is where I think is where my confidence is as a writer. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, in my mind, I don't feel like somebody reading that doesn't know the language. And if you don't, you can always Google mm-hmm. it. Um, I think people sometimes get too used to authors having to do all the legwork for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes making your readers work for it, they appreciate it more because now they've had to actually look it up and now it kind of sticks in their mind. Right. Um, so that's usually what I do. I don't always translate what I'm saying because I want you to look it up and, and see what it really means. Um, if it's something that I know that it's only like a particular slang that I would use, uh-huh. then yes, I describe it. But otherwise, no. Yeah. Do you, do you have dialogue in your, in your poetry? Yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah. I mean, the, the some people will use syntax to indicate the foreign language. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, people tell me in Mysteries, to, uh, I'm writing one now, where there's a native French speaker and a native Mexican speak, Spanish speaker. And mm-hmm. um, so how do you indicate those differences in language? Um you can put in Spanish words, but uh, uh, agents and publishers are telling me to really limit those. So it, it's mm-hmm. uh, it, so I have to do it in syntax. I have to do it with words that are the same in English as they are in French or Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to do it with slight mistakes, 
where they put in, you know, they don't um, do uh, contractions or where they put in that when it's understood in English. And it has mm -hmm. to, I have to do it in that kind of subtle way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the publisher and the person, but I've seen, like, I know some of my favorite ones, they don't translate it. Yeah. Um, but I understand it because I'm Hispanic, so. Yeah. Well, and you're bilingual, and it's a bilingual yeah. culture, so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for coming on the I Mean Can We Discuss podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I did. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm so thankful you invited me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I wish you so much luck. And um, I hope your launch goes well, especially, you know, this is like a big thing. You know? It is. It is. You're finally getting your first novel published. Yeah. Yeah. If the, if the second one takes as long, I don't I don't think it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, everyone. That concludes our interview with Carl. And I mean, can we discuss? And until next time, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. And that was a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening to, I mean, can we discuss? Don't forget to subscribe. Follow us if you want to see what we're up to, what projects we're up to. And enjoy the rest of your day, night, wherever you might be. I was your host, Asher Ferguson, signing off.